chasing their bliss, and to those who have found it and are living it every day. It's Friday, October 6th, 2023, and this is Fortel's Fortune Told. I'm your host, Fortel. Well, this is a podcast, a show, about music and musicians, songwriting and performing, and the stories of real people investing themselves into this art form because it's who they are. In episode one, I started with a hello world, as in who is Fortel, who is this guy hosting this? And I explained that I was a triple player and I had done all of this classic um, orchestra and concert band and jazz band and marching band. Well, that marching band, that last one, led me into college where a former member of one of those marching bands asked me to join one of his bands for practice in Milwaukee one day. And that really changed my life just to be a part of that in a professional sense, which led to me learning how to want, want to learn and start learning how to play guitar. And uh, wanting to sing, as I couldn't sing and play horn at the same time. And so... Uh, I started to learn guitar, and what's interesting is uh, I was in Whitewater, Wisconsin going to college, and uh, I was working at a group home out in the country. It was really a great job, actually, and um, there was a bed and breakfast nearby, and I think it was the Greenhouse Inn, I think that was the name of it. Um, regardless, they also were a guitar shop, I and mean, they sold guitars, and one day I went in there looking at guitars, and sure enough, the gentleman there was enough of a salesman to sell me um, a Fender acoustic 12 string, which, yeah, believe it or not, that's how I start, started to learn how to play guitar on a 12 string guitar. I guess figuring what the heck, the more strings, the sound would hide all of my inaccuracies or failings as a guitar player. Um, little did I know that it would definitely do that, but also highlight the um, imperfections as well, I should I say. Uh, regardless, that's the story. I still have that guitar. It's hanging on my shelf right here, or my wall right here. And, uh, yeah, um, I soon joined a band with some other members of said marching band, different members, a gentleman by the name of uh, Tony Matranga, who was a drummer living with a, a bassist, probably the best bassist I've ever played with. And Tony was no slouch either as far as a drummer. Um, uh, Chris Janis, who's the bass player, we called him Long Hair. Everybody called him Long Hair. Um, and then Tim Wirtz was the lead singer, and then Steve Wolf on lead guitar. Um, and then I was the, you know, kind of that rhythm guitar player, played electric eventually and that 12 string, and uh, did a lot of backing vocals and some lead vocals. And that band was called Left on Witten. So we all lived on Witten Street and uh, in various homes and, and 
somewhat frat house kind of style, but not a frat house. And uh, yeah, we uh, we formed this band, and we always had to turn left to get on Witten, so left on Witten kind of had multiple meanings. Um, but that was the quintessential college band. That's the band from the 1990s that um, a lot of my listeners will probably remember um, playing at all the bars late at night the, and those said frat houses, Delta Kai's and the Teaks and stuff like that. Um, and uh, we used to practice at a place called um, Palmyra, Wisconsin. And uh, we practiced in a freezer car there um, that used to be a re- on the, you know, on the line of the railroad, they would, you know, put items that need to keep cold in this thing. So we, we thought, sure, it would keep the sound in, too. And little did we know, it also, like, all the air, and it was super hot in summer. And, yeah, it was hard to breathe in there at times, to say the least. But, um, yeah, shout out to Palmyra and the, and the freezer car there. The freezer, we called it. Um, and left on wind in general. Later, I built an app. Like I said, I was, I'm also a software engineer. I have some various iOS apps out there for sale. Appreciate it if you'd love if you download and support the cause. But uh, we have that band called Left on Witten. W-H-I-T-O-N is the app. And also there's the Fortel app. That's all of my original music. Um, I should say something about the Fortel app here because um, it's definitely my original music, my solo stuff. And um, at one point it was on all the venues. You could search for my name on Comcast and Xfinity and um, Spotify and Amazon Music, et cetera, music, Apple Music, et cetera. Um, and I've pulled all of that out to try to recapture kind of what it's like to buy music and go to the mall and search for an LP and actually spend money on new music and see what it's like and then listen to it a lot because you wanted to give it a chance. You had spent money on it. And um, even if it did eventually something that you didn't like or you something that you wouldn't go back to, because you had spent money on it, you gave it a real listen. You really tried to like it. <clears throat> and so that whole process really is something that I wanted to recapture and by building my own app and making it proprietary to my music um, is it's really where it's at. It's my studio quality music. It's where I have multiple tracks with harmonies, with trumpet, with backing guitars, um, with harmonicas. It's where the beauty of my music can really be experienced besides if you can't see me live. So it's the Fortel app. Please do check it out. Spotlight Songwriting. Last time we talked about styles a little bit. Um, I was saying how like I'm kind of on the, the side of being an antenna for a song as it kind of lives out there somewhere in the quote-unquote ether. And somehow I can focus in on that frequency and all of a sudden that song comes pouring through. Um, Neil Young has kind of that um, approach. Um, And as as a serious singer-songwriter, one who does it, say, professionally, that's not always something that's allowed to exist. As in, you have to be more of maybe a street fighter, throw a lasso and say, get over here to your muse and make it come to you in some aspects. I've met songwriters, even this guy from Nashville once coming through Boulder, Colorado, um, who wrote songs for a living and had to write a song each day, sometimes two, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. 
and to make quality songs when you have to do it on a schedule is a talent that is still probably being sought after by many folks. Um, but there's definitely various approaches and I guess there's some need factor in there. Um, but it's part of the business. And so just knowing where you fit or how that works to produce quality, I think over quantity is really what you should be shooting for. I think some of the questions that you should ask yourself um, when you're writing some songs is, um, does the song have some kind of meaning or purpose that you're trying to tell or trying to con it's trying to convey? Some songs don't. Some songs are just there. Um, they're a piece of art to look at, not necessarily to ponder something deep. Um, and some are the opposite. Some have great meaning. They're trying to convey up and down, you know, in depth as far as you can go. So I think it depends on each individual song. I think each song needs to have some flow of lyrics and music together so that it's not completely confusing to the audience. So rhythmic patterns work, but they don't have to be simple. They can be complicated. I, th I think full circle resolution is helpful in songs. And speaking of resolution, I think in order to have resolution, you need to create tension. So tension can be in chords, and in song, in music, in notes played. Tension can be in rhythm. Tension can be in lyrics, in lack of lyrics. Tension is always something that is meant to be resolved. And bringing that into resolution is something that's this gratifying sense of a song. And I guess, you know, keep in mind, this is the art form. So maybe sometimes you want to leave tension there and end with tension um, and leave the audience feeling that. And that's understandable. In certain songs, that's going to work. But don't deny your audience that gratification of resolution too often or else you might lose them. I think using senses in writing, in songwriting, helps... Um, convey much more meaning. They're obviously already hearing notes and words, but if those words include discussions and thoughts of motion or a journey, something through time and space, something that smells or tastes that or feels, that's going to be powerful to your user, to your listener. And I think colors used very often in songs color can be really magnificent even in like song titles like for instance 99 red balloons shout out to nina red red wine you be 40 what about orange crush from rem yellow submarine or maybe mellow yellow um, that's the beatles and donovan Blue Moon of Kentucky and Blue Suede Shoes from Bill Monroe or Carl Perkins. Mood Indigo, Irvin Mills. Purple Rain. Be a little bit different if it was Green Rain, wouldn't it? And what about Purple Haze, right? That really, people knew what that meant and that from Prince and then Hendrix. And then what about White Room from Cream and Paint It Black from The Stones? And those are just titles. Um... <clears throat> There's a song from Neil Young called The Painter. 
You know, the painter stood before her work. She looked around everywhere. She saw the pictures and she painted them, picking colors from the air. Green to green, red to red, yellow to yellow in the light, black to black when the evening comes, blue to blue through the night. Those are just some ways that you can help influence depth and put depth into your songs and songwriting process. place called Black and Blues Music and Brews in Loveland, Colorado. They are a tremendous supporter of musicians in and around Loveland, Colorado. Um, just tremendous um, stage, great sound system. One of the places where you don't have to bring your PA and sound setup. They have it set up for you. They have the equipment you would need. Though people usually bring, you know, some of their own stuff, including me. I bring my own mic and et cetera. Uh, but really just an awesome place to go and listen to music, have a beer. Um, they have it open up when the weather's beautiful as it's been. Open up the garage, huge doors. And um, like I said, just a great place to go and listen to music and support music. Um, shout out to Angie and Fabian there. Um, Black and Blues, Music and Brews. Check it out, folks. Um, that particular night, I did not have the best of audience. There was a lot of stuff going around, including a big wedding, just like right across the street up on top of this um, building next to us. And um, I did get enough of a crowd to come in and I was reminded that I, it's one of those times as a performer that you need to be more of a showman. I think I left thinking I needed to engage my audience a little bit more. You know, I'm there to perform music and to sing and that's what definitely brought them in to sit down. But once they're there, it's kind of on you to, to keep them engaged. And I felt, I left the night thinking I could have done better at that, but um, you know, you don't always, you know, you live and learn. Sometimes you have to figure, go, you know, figure out things and go through things like that as a musician. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. Um, I ended up playing with my band Defunct Railroad who we're featuring today on this episode at a farmer's market in Broomfield, Colorado. And man, that was fun. That was the closing uh, farmer's market of the season and the tamale truck basically had tacos for the entire farmer's market at the end. It was so delicious. And we got a bunch of peaches and apples. And I got a dozen farm fresh eggs as part of our, our tip from there. Um, one of the reasons to definitely go and play farmer's markets is the vendors there. If they like you, they'll set you up too. It's pretty awesome. I again had an open mic at Mountain Cowboy Brewing in Frederick, Colorado. Shout out to Mountain Cowboy. Another wonderful night of various musicians, even some new friends from um, the Firehouse Songwriters Club. Shout out to those guys in Longmont, Colorado. Um, J uh, Jonathan Duane showed up. He was uh, there as well as some other new acts and some of our, our uh, regulars who I'll be featuring on future episodes of Foretells Fortune Told. Um, here's a little a preview is that we have, next episode we have Mark Flett, singer-songwriter Mark Flett. And then after that, we have singer-songwriter Rocco coming up in our next episodes. And then I just had this gig at um, a place called Very Nice Brewing in Nederland, Colorado. 
And I gotta say, it was very nice. Uh, what a really cool setup and stage. Again, another place where people just came and had some beers and listened, opened up the doors. Beautiful night in the mountains there. Really fun, a good amount of folks, even though they said, oh, they didn't have the biggest night. I thought there was a lot of people there and got them all singing with me. I was doing some covers of uh, Pink Floyd and some other stuff that uh, really got grabbed them. And um, what a fun night. So uh, looking forward to it. Oh, and then um, on Tuesday, October 4th, I was on the radio in Fort Collins, Colorado, and then I guess internationally, since nowadays the radio is on the web. Uh, played they played an hour set that I had recorded earlier this year all of my all of my original music live at a place called the Magic Rat in the Elizabeth Hotel in downtown Fort Collins um, on KRFC they call this show after hours and it was at 7 p.m. on on Tuesday and they they played that whole show and goodness you know I I, I loved it I loved doing it it was one of those gigs that made me feel like uh, tremendous as an artist th that I got to play an hour worth of my original music and knew that it was going to be on the radio one day and sure enough on Tuesday it was and even though I did screw up some lyrics in the beginning I swapped some verses around on myself so most people who don't know my music won't notice but uh, I definitely noticed and you got to keep going I didn't stop thankfully and say no that wasn't how it's supposed to go <laughs> got to keep going folks that's one of the things you need to know um, especially when you're playing live you just got to Got to keep going in those moments. <laughs> but really cool to be on the radio, and I hope a ton of people listened. And um, Fortel's friends, we have Defunct Railroad with us here today. Defunct Railroad plays a scrumptious mix of New Orleans funk, zydeco, blues, rock, R&B, and Louisiana roots. It's a soulful, bluesy stew of good music, and like a good jambalaya, it makes you warm inside and makes you get up and move. We're here with Defunct Railroad, yes folks. Uh, let's start with Randy. Go ahead, introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, I'm Randy Mergala. I'm uh, originally from northern Wisconsin, Armstrong Creek, Wisconsin. Excellent. Lived Randy. in Green Bay for a long time. Excellent. DJ? Yeah, I'm DJ Mergala. I was uh, born in New York City and moved to Colorado in 1967. Been here ever since, um, and I like it. <laughs> Uh, Rick Dittmars, originally from Oklahoma City, spent some time in Kansas City, then back to Oklahoma before I came to Colorado and Boulder about 34 years ago, so nice, good place to be. And pronounce your last name again. Dittmars. Dittmars. Mars. Mars. Like the planet. Dittmars. <laughs> See, now I've already learned something new about y'all already. That's so great. Um, so, you know, this is an interesting... Uh, you know, my first podcast was kind of a unique situation where the first episode was me interviewing myself. The second episode here is me interviewing the full band, and it happens to be a band that I joined. Uh, but before we get to all of that, because uh, I've been playing with these guys for a few years, um, I want to ask you all your earliest memories of music. Like, what are things that think you think of when 
you think of, you know, that probably is something that influenced me becoming a musician. And, and Randy, I'll start with you. Well, probably the very, <clears throat> excuse me, probably the very earliest would be um, when I was like nine or ten years old. Uh, uh, we DJ and I actually just recently watched uh, the original Beatles on Ed Sullivan that was aired in I think February of 1964. So I was like nine years old. That was probably like one of my first introductions. And then I uh, had a, a bunch of old, uh, a bunch of Rolling Stones uh, and Beatles uh, 45s. I still have them, I believe. And that, that was a big influence. I, I liked the early Stones and I was only like nine, 10 years old. And I used to listen to the flip side, the B side, of one of the 45s and it was the Willie Dixon song, I Just Want to Make Love to You. And uh, I don't know what my parents thought. I was like nine or 10 years old. So I, was like, I don't know, <laughs> you know but funny. I liked it. Yeah, That was funny. probably my the first blues song I listened to. Excellent. Yeah. DJ, you're from New York City. What, what borough? Queens. Queens. Yeah. So were there New York influences early or huh. what do you remember? Uh, mm. I don't know. My mom had a lot of records and she played them all the time. And uh, I don't know. I always had a thing about the piano. I had like a little tiny toy piano that I played. And uh, as I got older, I just, I don't know, I would be pounding on the trash can pretending it was a drum. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it just kind of came up that way. And I always wanted to have like every instrument you could think of. And that, uh, I got a lot of them, but I don't have as so, many as I wanted. Extra question for you. When did you know you could sing and play drums at the same time? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It just, well, just you, happened. You, well, I, well, the reason I asked that is also because of your answer to the previous question where you said you just would play the piano and these all these other instruments. It seems like maybe that developed some kind of multitasking nature inside of you to be able to do that. I don't know a lot of people can actually pull off playing drums as well as you and sing as well. Yeah. I don't know. I just uh, I just do it. Awesome. <laughs> and Rick, you got early memories? Uh, yeah, my mother was a classical pianist and my father was a Buck Owens fan. So you know, I try, try and put that together, but you know, Buck Owens and the Buckaroos would come on TV and my mother would storm out of the room, but that's a different story. <laughs> But you know, I think in the early days, you know, after the Beatles, like Randy said, wanted to play guitar, so my mother insisted I learn to read music, so it was classical guitar, and I took those lessons off and on through junior high and high school, and went to college, and that got set aside. But I was always listening to music, started listening to a lot of jazz, jazz rock fusion kind of thing, and uh, started playing the bass, and I think I was 40, 41 years old when I first picked up the bass, started taking lessons, found a real good teacher, and here I am. <laughs> that explains a lot. I was going to ask you about the style of you would how you would describe the style of your bass playing. I think you kind of described it all and just all of that background there. Mm -hmm. Do you think that all influenced? Oh, I'm know? sure it has. Sure it has, consciously or not. I don't. I don't know. One one thing I hear people say about it usually most common I get is that it's smooth, whatever that means. For I sure. guess that's a good thing. But. <laughs> For sure, yes, my friend. Um, awesome. So that's. That's also, you brought up um, kind of what led into my next question 
and so let's start with you and go back in reverse. Okay. But um, <laughs> like we all, including me, and I explained on my first episode that I have had a software engineering engineering career that actually I'm going to talk about in my podcast as we go forward. But um, so I've had other interests that have kind of pulled me along financially, as many musicians do. And again, this story is about real musicians. It's it's not about um, super successful, you know, um, top artists. It's about real people who do this and why. And and so um, I'm very real and upfront about me having other career interests that have led to this. But of course, my true passion has turned out to be you know being a singer, you know, being a performer, writing songs, playing with y'all. I just love it. But like Rick, you've had an interesting career besides being a musician. So can you explain a little bit uh, about your other career interests? Uh, it's uh, quite varied. <laughs> First went to college, I studied biology, had a biology degree, taught high school and coached for a couple of years. Got out of that and was in pharmaceutical sales for a while, I was going around doctor's offices and stuff. That lost its romance after a few years. And I got back in Oklahoma City during that time. Went back to school at OU, got a master's in geophysics. And did that in 85 when oil was crashing in 86. I was on the street, moved into the environmental field was transferred to Boulder in 89, and here I still am. Been retired for a bit now. So. Amazing. Wow, that sounds like a lot of stories wrapped up in your face. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we could probably do a whole podcast just on that, probably. Um, but that's awesome. And wait, and another sign of perseverance to keep going in when things are, you know. And DJ, what about other things you've done? Uh, and you still do, actually. I still do, <laughs> yes. How do I get out of it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I always wanted to be a car mechanic or something like that, but uh, uh, my parents really wanted me to go to college, so I did. And uh, they, didn't want me, they didn't want me to go into music or dance. They wanted me to go into something substantial. So I went into business, and um, I got a degree, uh, BS in business from CU, and uh, I still work as an accountant. I have an accounting firm, and I still do taxes, and I don't know how to get out of it. That's <laughs> 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 what happens when you have your own business. So, <laughs> so what about this other notion of you flying an airplane oh. <laughs> well, I thought that sounded like fun, too, and I went to uh, Metro State, and I got a degree in professional pilot. But by the time I graduated, I was kind of too old. Uh, I was 40, I guess. And so that was a lot older than a lot of the people I went to school with. And uh, so I don't know, I just enjoyed it for a while. Then when 9-11 happened, they closed all the airports and I kind of stopped doing it at that point. Everything got too expensive. So uh, back to accounting. <laughs> awesome. And Randy? Yeah, <clears throat> well. Um, right out of, uh, it's kind of like DJ said, your parents wanted you to go to school, so, and, you know, they had it you know, kind of planned out for me. And <laughs> so I, right out of high school, I, I went to University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, and I didn't know, I didn't know why I was there. <laughs> and you know, say nothing about what I wanted to pursue, but I uh, dropped out after one year and moved out here, ironically, to Boulder, Colorado, and uh, lived on the hill for a year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, that's where I really got, believe it or not, where I got some of my technical training 
musically. I took lessons, guitar lessons from a guy that was a Warner Brothers studio musician. I'd like to thank him to this day because he taught me a lot of those, the chords that I use and, and stuff. And I'm, I'm so glad that I, I got to learn that stuff. And then when I moved back to Green Bay a year later, I went to music school for a year. Uh, you know, um, never graduated or anything. It was just one year, but it was very helpful. And then um, after my mother passed away in 83, I, I went back to school and uh, in earth science and uh, was my major in geology. And then after that, I taught junior high and high school for five years and uh, went, went back to get a physics and math certification. Um, and then moved out here again and uh, got my master's degree um, dealing with uh, snow and ice, to make a long story short. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after I got the master's degree, the primary job that I was able to uh, acquire was uh, playing music. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you skiing. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I started skiing when I was like five or six years old. My mother used to take me up to Pine Mountain, which was in uh, Iron Mountain, Michigan, about 25 miles from her house. And that's where I learned. The U? And, uh, yeah, and, and the UP, hey. Yeah. 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 That's right, the UP. <laughs> up there. And, uh, and I skied ever since. and. Uh, taught my daughter Stephanie to ski and uh, both of us got into ski racing. Uh, okay. She was with the USSA uh, um, ski racers, uh, you know, age group thing uh, and in, Wis in Wisconsin first and then she did it out here for one year and then um, I, I raced with uh, the Rocky Mountain Masters, and I am by no means a master, but it was very <laughs> in interesting, and I got the you know, I got the ski super G's and downhills, and uh, you know, yeah, I, I was you know the, the bottom of the pack, but I mean there were people in there that were in the World Cup and the Olympics and stuff like that. So that really cool. I, it was no, I was nowhere close. <laughs> so is it true? But it was fun. It was fun. Did you ski did Crested Butte? Yeah. Okay. I, I just want. I thought that was one of the stories. I, I, did, I did not ski the banana funnel. You did not. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. It's on record now. Yeah. Um, so this brings us kind of to the date. In, I think it was 2017. Sky Brewing. Also now defunct. Yeah. Will it see? We're defunct railroads with a K, folks. And I'll spell it out at the end here. But um, I saw y'all play. And yeah, I was there yeah. doing open mic, doing my solo stuff. And so most of you, if you don't know me yet on this podcast, Fortale, I do mostly um, kind of country, classic rock, original tunes and um, I don't play trumpet, you know, when I saw these guys, I knew I could bring that trumpet playing that you guys know I, I, I've had in my repertoire and in my life. 
and I, it was a place I could apply it, and not only yeah, that, I could you add. did, you did. <laughs> and so I've just had such a blast playing with these folks and meeting these folks. It, was it 2017 or was it 2018? You know, I, I think it was 17, 17. late 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm not absolutely you sure. You sat in with us at the farmer's market. In, in That's Boulder. right, in yeah. Boulder. That's yeah. right, that was my yeah. first gig, which yeah. was a four-hour gig. <laughs> like, yeah. nothing like taking me in, didn't know anything, just come and show up. <laughs> I remember that. I think yeah. there was a few songs I could not play in. Yeah. But other than that, I played a lot I think, of it. I think it was 17, yeah. Wow. So anyway. Late 17. Good move, bad move, biting this guy over here? What do you think? Oh, <laughs> great move. Great yeah. yeah. right. well, it's it's been a pleasure, like I said, to not only gig with y'all as much as... <laughs> We have, even back in the Dark Horse days before COVID. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and all the other stuff you that guys was have a done. Fun traveling place. around mm-hmm. and yeah. gigging together before me. Looking forward to all of our future gigs. DJ and I met on that stage at the Dark Horse. <laughs> is that where y'all met? So that was my next question, is how you three met. I thought it was at the Outbreak. Well, that's where they met me. Oh, that's yeah. that's where, where we met, met Rick, yeah. yeah. But yeah. back in... And what uh, year was that? Do you remember? Oh, God. Yeah. At least 10 years ago, if not more. Oh, more than that. Yeah. Yeah, we, you and I, or, uh, you, know, you started playing with me and DJ yeah. in about 2013, but I think we had met before yeah. that. Oh, yeah. 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 But, so, was uh, it the open mic that you all first played together? Probably at yeah. jams there at the Outlook. We probably played together. A few oh, yeah, yeah the, I think so. Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, that's the Outlook <coughs> Hotel? Or yeah, it, it, was, was, it was, was a hotel. And it's in Boulder, but it's not there anymore. No, it's defunct. It's housing now. It's, yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. For the hotel down. I actually went to a business class there once, just so you know, uh, before yeah. it went away. So I do have mm-hmm. some history there myself. Just not playing music. I learned how to, I think, speak properly. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it used to be the Holiday Inn. <laughs> so, uh, and that's kind of the modern day where defunct railroad has kind of come into play um these three individuals not to mention what we haven't mentioned yet is that randy and dj are actually husband and wife <laughs> and have been together playing together longer than this band probably yeah yeah and well, like just a, explain a little bit how like you all met well yeah it was uh, 1998 uh very early 1998 a friend of ours hosted a jam at the Dark Horse where we've played Dark many Horse, gigs, right. you know. Okay. And DJ used to come in with her conga and just play congas, you know. And So we met on stage at the Dark Horse. Yeah. <laughs> and then the rest is history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My first question is, why do you do music? So it could be, why does Defunct Railroad exist? Why are we doing Defunct Railroad today? Or could be you personally. Why, the why are you doing music? And actually, if all of you want to answer, it would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's up to you. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Who first? Every, yeah, we're recording. It doesn't okay. matter. We'll edit it out. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do it for the music, you know, and, and I enjoy playing uh, music with y'all. And uh, I, I, I just enjoy the, the music, you know. If it was. Uh, for the money or the music business, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't happen. <laughs> I do it for the music, you know, and the camaraderie, you know. It's so awesome. Cool. 
So who are your influences? <laughs> like who has like said that's somebody that has influenced my style, how I play, how I want to write music? What is that? Got anybody? Yeah, the people who've been inspirations are people I couldn't touch playing. <laughs> so who are some of those? Like ones? like Christian McBride, for example, in the upright bass. He's just from another planet. In fact, I was in a sitting in Boulder Theater at the Christian McBride Trio concert or Chris McBride band and sitting there watching him and I was kind of been thinking about picking up music again, you know, playing something. I was kind of leaning toward bass and I was sitting there in front of McBride and sitting there and my wife kind of asked me if they were thinking about taking up an instrument again. I said, yeah, I kind of thought about the bass. <laughs> but then I don't know, it looks like McBride, I don't know why, there's no way you can be touched. But I was fortunate, I found a good teacher, it's the teacher at Rob's, Pete Hanning, he uh, was a Berkeley College of Music grad and a really good teacher, really good Shout teacher. Out. And uh, learned a lot from him. It was my intent was never to perform. It was just, I was listening to a lot of jazz, just wanted to understand it better. So I went to him really just to learn some jazz theory and bass seemed a good place to do that. And it helped a lot. And then started going to blues jams just to play a bit, just to try my hand. And... So Randy DJ, like what is one of your favorite songs that you've written, one of your originals? And, and why? Yeah, um, well, uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, as far as, um, well, one of my favorite songs DJ wrote is Standing in the Shadows. And I just think it's got such a profound message. It's a great blues ballad. And, um, Probably, probably one of the yeah, favorite ones that I wrote is uh, probably Someday, which um, I, I always wanted to write a song with a one six four five change, and that's, <laughs> that's kind of right. how it started. And then uh, here I'm thinking the yearning, <laughs> and uh, I read a, quite a few Carl Sandburg poems. And uh, uh, some of the lyrics in there are kind of influenced by some of uh, his poetry, especially the poem Chicago. Uh, if you listen to the song and read the poem, you probably know what I'm talking about. But um, anyway, that yeah, that's one of them. It's it's kind of a slow one six four five thing, you know, and. Uh, it's a great song. I've really enjoyed playing trumpet on it. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the, I guess, years now. Yeah. Uh, and hear a DJ sing it. And, yeah. um, all right, last question for y'all. <laughs> just want to thank y'all for coming for sure and, and being part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Shout out to all the international listeners. I know we got some Belgian listeners and uh, some Danish listeners out there and everybody in the States. Thank you. Um, last question for y'all. Is you got, it's really more of a comment or a statement. Do you have any advice or any words of wisdom for somebody trying to do this, trying to just um, trying to be a musician nowadays and you know perform and, and, and write music and be out there? What do you think? You got anything for them? Well, um, don't. That was gonna say. 
I would be a little more subtle with that. Say, uh, uh, do it for the music and, and, and do it to have fun. Because if you don't do that, you're going to find it very frustrating. But do it for the music and do it to have fun. That brings us to the end of this episode of Fortell's Fortune Told. I want to thank Defunct Railroad for joining us and thank you so very much as I certainly appreciate y'all listening today and feel free to interact more at foretellmusic.com and defunctrailroad.com. But for now, I'll send you into the sunset with Defunct Railroads Too Fast for Me and I hope your journey is as one, expected. Two, one, two,
Take your time. 